Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. We're so glad that you've joined us. And uh, before we get into our teaching time, we do want to have a prayer uh, for the unborn. I don't know if you follow statistics much, but uh, this past week, worldwide, we passed 2 million deaths from COVID, which is horrible, obviously. But also, do you know how many unborn children were uh, not allowed to breathe, uh, live on this earth last year worldwide? They estimate, obviously, 43 million. So every time somebody dies of COVID, over 20 children have been sacrificed. Great tragedy of our time. Uh, We should be upset about this. I pray that you are. We should pray diligently uh, to God, and we will do that now. Almighty God, such a great tragedy that life is not considered important. It's cheap, and life that you create, not uh, allowed to bring, uh, to be born and, and to live here on earth. God, forgive us. Forgive us for allowing our hearts to be hardened to the place where this is acceptable. Uh, we pray for those that uh, it does not bother them to participate in this industry. And God, we pray for us as a church, uh, church worldwide, that we would uh, seek your face and, and ask that you would find uh, a solution to this. Uh, we live in a fallen, sinful world. We understand that. And, but this is unacceptable. It's unacceptable to you, we know, and should be unacceptable to us. So we pray. We pray for our part, that we would do our part to end this horrible tragedy. Um, We pray for your mercy. Forgive us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, let's all do our part. Back to our series. We're finishing up, Tough as Nails. Uh, Today's topic is Once Upon a Time. This doesn't mean Once Upon a Time fairy tale. This is Once Upon a Time history. All right? So, for example, Once Upon a Time, there was just Rome. And the... The we call the Mediterranean uh, rim of people and countries, uh, Rome controlled. Uh, Julius Caesar became the first emperor, and this city of Rome in Italy somehow controlled uh, that part of the world. And they were very cruel and very unjust. <clears throat> and they went around persecuting those that, whatever reason, they could do that especially eventually as Christianity came along, persecuted Christianity, even though it continued to spread. So once upon a time, a guy made a name of Jesus would stand up against Rome, the cruelty of Rome, and the hypocrisy of the temple, uh, the Jewish temple. And consequently, once upon a time, the same 12 disciples condemned by the temple, they arrested him, turned him over to the Romans, and then eventually <clears throat> the Roman Empire crucified him. But he didn't stay dead. <laughs> and we're going to talk about that. The, the tomb is empty and he's alive. So consequently then once upon a time, Jesus followers, Christians, would gather for worship. In homes, under trees, in courtyards, wherever they could. They sang whatever songs they knew. They may read a portion of scripture, a letter from one of the apostles or the disciples. Um, 
and then they would live their lives according to the teachings of Jesus. They would try and love their enemies and forgive those that mistreated them and just live a, 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 a values of life that were completely different from the culture that they lived in. So here's the question for you and I. What will be our once upon a time story? The church in America, I understand some people in other countries watch our, our, our service. So in your country, what will be the once upon a time story uh, 50, 100 years from now? Looking back on, on the church, in our case, the United States, in the early 2000s, uh, what were we? What impact did we have? See, there was once upon a time a, ver a version of faithfulness to God that was all inspiring. My mic not working? Oh, okay. We got a backup mic. Good. All right. Um, it was all inspiring. We talked about some of these. And not just back in the early, uh, first century, which we're going to look at today, uh, but all through history, there have been times when the church have stepped up and done awe-inspiring things, or people have done awe-inspiring things. Uh, unfortunately, I, I, I don't see a lot of that today. Uh, people paid attention to the church. I think the church is more ignored than anything else today. So the rec record we have of the early church in the Bible is called the Book of Acts. Now, the Book of Acts is an historical book. It's not a theological book, it's a historical book. It tells us about events that happened. Um, I think uh, Luke wrote this, and, we, and he, tells, he says, I, I've done all these interviews, I've done all this research, um, and so this is my, the account. So it's kind of like a newspaper reporter, getting all the facts and then writing them down. So as we read the book of Acts, this is history. Now, we use the term Christian for Jesus followers, but in the beginning... This wasn't the term they used. The term they used was called the way. These people that, were, that would follow Jesus were people that followed the way. And that will make sense a little bit later when we read the passage that describes it as the way. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 4. But to give you a little background, Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, uh, let me give you a little time frame. This is probably about two months after Jesus was crucified. So this is really soon. Two months have gone by. Peter and John, two of the disciples, are in the temple. Uh, the, the temple was where Jews went, and they were kind of Christianized Jews, I guess you would say. So they would go to the temple to pray. And so they go to the temple, and the temple was like a compound of like 34 acres. It was huge. And, of course, the temple was there. And lots of people were there, and especially people that were uh, poor or handicapped, they would go there and beg. And that was their system of welfare, if you will. And that's how they provided for themselves. So they're there this one day, and they come across this uh, man that's begging who's lame, crippled. And they say to him, well, we'd like to help you. We don't have any money. So how would you like to be healed <laughs> instead? <laughs> and the guy raises his hand and says, yeah. And so they heal him. So they say, hey, we're going to find that this guy had been lame for over 40 years. Never stood up for 40 years. And all of a sudden, he gets to stand up. <laughs> How amazing is that? And so then they begin to preach in the temple. And, and uh, the problem is they're preaching about Jesus. <laughs> and the Jewish religious leaders didn't like that. And they gather a crowd. They didn't like that either. And so they have arrested. And they ask, well, what authority are you talking about? And what authority did you heal in? And under what name did you heal? Now, you have to remember... 
60 days after Jesus was crucified. These are the same people that Jesus stood before. These are the same people that arrested Jesus. They might have been the same prison Jesus was in. So if you're Peter and John, what do you think is going to happen to you? Two months ago, Jesus was arrested by these folks, put in jail, turned over to the Romans and crucified. Two plus two equals four. Very likely could happen to us. They didn't know. So this happened late in the day, so they put them in prison, and they were going to deal with them in the morning. So we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 4, verse 8. <clears throat> so they asked that question, Who's, what authority, you know, how did you do this? So Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, Jewish leaders, we're Jewish people, we are being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Is, is that why we're being questioned? Or maybe, do you want to know how he was healed? Do you want to know about this Jesus? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus the Nazarene. All right, I'm answering your question. What power, what name? Jesus. By the way, this is the guy that you crucified two months ago. That's all right, because God raised him from the dead. He's alive. So that's Peter's response. And then we get to a verse that's very central to the gospel and disturbing to many people. If you're not a Jesus follower and you're watching, uh, this may be one reason that you're not. So what's Peter say to him? There is salvation in no one else, period. You can't get to God any other way. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So if you want to have a relationship with God, you've got to go through Jesus. Now, the pushback to that, and if you have people you would say this to, uh, you might get this pushback, is this. How can you be so narrow? There's lots of religions in the world. There's got to be lots of ways to God, right? How can you be so narrow, and how can you be so sure? And Peter's response and your response should be to, should pretty much the same. In their case... I followed Jesus, I saw him crucified, I saw his empty tomb, and I had breakfast with him on the beach. (laughs) And so anybody can predict their death and resurrection, got to believe whatever else they say, and so it's his words, not ours. It's the only way to God. Now, I try and be open, and hopefully you are, when I'm discussing theological issues with people. If we're discussing the Holy Spirit, depending on your your uh, religious background, you might have a different view of the Holy Spirit. Uh, talking about, you know, what's going to happen in end times, we may disagree on, on our interpretation. But there's one thing you and I cannot disagree on. <laughs> and that's, there's only one way to God, Jesus. So, that was his answer. So, what was their response? Well, the members of the council, <laughs> they were amazed not necessarily by what they said, but what they saw, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. So they just didn't sheepishly say this. <laughs> he evidently said it boldly, um, with confidence. Part of the reason they were amazed was because they uh, could see that these were just ordinary men. They weren't you know, upper class like <laughs> the people they were talking to. Uh, common working men probably uneducated, and in fact, they had no special training in the scriptures. One other thing they, they noticed. They also 
recognize them as men who had been with Jesus. Really important. I think there's a ratio to our, with our ratio or our boldness to our time with Jesus. And that's one of the tragedies of not being able to meet as the church. Most folks aren't coming. It, it's less time you're spending with Jesus and people, Jesus' people. And so it makes it harder to be bold. See, life change has, needs to be evident. Most people you and I talk to that aren't Jesus' followers aren't going to believe the Bible. They need evidence. They need to see. And what do they see? Well, they'll see life change. So if they've known you for a while and they say, well, why are you more kind now than you used to be? Why are you less angry than, now than you used to be? Why do you seem to have more peace now than you used to? Why do you worry less or are afraid less than you used to be? And we can say the answer. Because of Jesus, right? The more time I spend with Jesus, the more I'm like Jesus. The more I'm this type of person than that type of person. See, people can argue against Scripture. They can't argue about your life change. So that's critical. That people see it, and then also we give the credit to God. Now, this is fascinating. This uh, man that they healed evidently is standing there. So the passage goes on. The text goes on. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, again, over 40 years, never stood, now he's standing. You can't argue with the evidence, right? You can't argue with the facts. There was nothing the council could say. But they still didn't want to believe in this Jesus, but they couldn't argue against the miracle. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. Again, this reads like a newspaper article, right? This event happened, then this event happened. So among themselves, they say, what should we do with these men? We can't deny that they've performed a miraculous sign. The guy's standing there. <laughs> and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. I bet you did. Um, probably lots of people have met this man. Lots of people have seen this man. Lots of people had supported him. And now he's... He's standing. He's, he, now he's walking. They didn't have cell phones back then, but I know that news spread quickly. But to keep them from spreading their, this translation used the word propaganda. They didn't believe it, so they called it, you know, heresy or propaganda. We must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. Evidently, they felt they had the authority to command these guys that stopped speaking in the name of Jesus. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them, you are never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Got it? <laughs> Denying the evidence, obviously, because it went against what they, they believed or wanted to believe. They ordered them <clears throat> to never speak in the name of Jesus again. Now, of course, Peter and John are going to do that, right? They've been ordered, they've been commanded by the, the, the religious leaders of their day to do this. Notice their response. Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? Now, that's kind of a slap in the face, right? Because they thought they spoke for God. They were the religious leaders. And they said, no, no, no. God's telling us to do this, and you're telling us to do this over here. Who do you think we're going to listen to? In fact, he said, we can't stop telling about everything we've seen and heard. 
I got to think about this. Uh, those of us that have, that have had children, uh, when my wife got pregnant the first time, we didn't tell anybody, right? No. And when your wife got pregnant or you got pregnant, you didn't keep it a secret, right? You couldn't stop telling people. Guess what? Guess what? Well, that's the same here. We can't stop telling everybody this good news that Jesus has come and has provided uh, salvation and, and connection and eternal life. So that was their response. The council still doesn't know what to do, so they just threatened them again and said, well, we commanded you to do, not to do that. And they finally let them go because they didn't want to punish them without starting a riot. Again, their goal was to keep the calm, keep the peace. The Romans didn't like turmoil. And everybody who heard about this, we're around praising God for this miraculous sign because only God can do those kind of miracles, right? The healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. So, Peter and John go, phew, we got out of that. It, it's kind of dangerous. Maybe we better uh, lay low for a little while, right? Is that what they did? No. Look what they did. Text goes on. As soon as they were freed, they didn't go hide. They returned to the other believers, their church, and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. So, you know, when, when Luke was wanting to write this, there was lots of people that could tell him what, what had happened. And when they heard the report, the church, all the believers lifted their voice together in prayer to God. So this is the first recorded prayer and prayer meeting after church got started. I mean, I'm sure there was others, but this is the first one we have a written account of. So what do you think they prayed? Well, let me put it this way. What would you and I have prayed in that situation? And I'm going to make a conjecture, and I'm just going to say that phew, I, I, I hope this... Uh, the council just kind of leaves us alone. I hope there is no more uh, uh, arrests uh, because of Jesus. And maybe we ought to tone it down a little bit. God, just tell us what we do so we won't get in, in, into trouble. That's kind of uh, the prayer I can imagine us praying. Now, we pray little prayers, which I think are fine. God knows the hairs on your head, so we can pray little prayers because we have a big God. But since we have a big God, shouldn't we pray big prayers? Well, that's exactly what we're going to see here. Let's look at the prayer of these folks. It starts out this way. Oh, sovereign Lord. We usually start, oh, heavenly Father. Uh, this is a little more grand. This is a little larger. This is, this is almighty God, creator of the heavens and earth, the sea and everything in them. That's the God we're speaking to. You spoke long ago by the by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant. So now he's, they're going to pray part of their Bible, part of our Bible, our Old Testament. So sometimes you have struggled with what to pray. Open your Bible and pray those words. And so that's what they're doing. This is a Psalm of David written maybe a thousand years before this, a prophecy. And it's fascinating because it sounds so similar to what's <laughs> maybe happening here. Why were the nations so angry? Then you go on. Why were they wasting their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against the Messiah. This is the promised Messiah a thousand years ago. And now he's here. He was here. He was crucified. He was resurrected. And you fulfilled your promise, God. So you're almighty God. You fulfilled your promise with the Messiah. 
And then they go and say, in fact, this happened right here in this very city. You know, it's like 6,000 miles away from here. But they were in that exact place. Same, same uh, <laughs> um, people that were involved, the religious leaders. Herod, Antipas, and Pontius Pilate, the governor, and the Gentiles, meaning the Romans. And, of course, the Jews pitched in, too, and the people of Israel, all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed, but everything, notice this, they, listen to this, but everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. They thought they were free to do what they wanted, and they thought they were, you know, stopping you, God, by killing your son, Jesus. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. We might say, God, you're large and in charge. <laughs> you're bigger than the Romans. You're bigger than the Jewish temple. You're bigger. Let me just say a simple question. Can God be stopped? Can God be stopped? No, now he allows things to happen, and we live in a sinful world. But God can't be stopped. Satan found that out, right, 2,000 years ago. Ah, I got to kill this Jesus, son of God. I got him killed. Three days later, he conquered death and sin for you and I. God can't be stopped. Now, do we pray prayers like that? I have to confess, I, I don't normally pray prayers like that. And then he goes on, and now, O oh Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, what? The wisdom to stay out of their way? <laughs> no. Great boldness in preaching your word. That's all we're concerned about, God. We're not concerned about if our lives are threatened. All we want to make sure is we continue to be bold in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. Continue to do these miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, like I said, what you and I would pray is, God, please remove this persecution from us. Please make it safe for us to share about Jesus. And we pray, I don't know what they would call that, selfish prayers, little prayers. And isn't it a wonder maybe so little happens? These folks are, I pray what I call a heroic prayer, a prayer for boldness. Do we pray heroic prayers? So after this prayer, what happened? The meeting place shook. That must have been exciting. <laughs> they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they preached the Word of God with boldness. Prayed for boldness. Boldness happened. They knew what was right, and they did what was right. I often say it this way. It's always right to do what's right. It's not always easy, and we like easy, don't we? And this boldness, and not obnoxious boldness, but a boldness and 100% belief in what they were saying drew people. That's attractive to people. You're that sure. You're that confident. Yes, we are. And it was all based on a single event, not on all the teachings of Jesus and all his miracles, based on a single event. And let's read that next in the text. The apostles testified powerfully to what? The resurrection of the Lord Jesus. 
That's the foundation of Christianity. That's the foundation back then called the way. And God's great blessing was upon them all. So it wasn't based on Jesus' teachings or his healing. Based on a single event, historical event. It's Jesus whom you crucified, God raised from the dead. See, when you don't have a fear of loss, even when you don't fear the loss of life, as evidently they didn't, you can live with confidence. You can live with compassion. You can give your life for those who are less... uh, Less, not as well off as we are. You can give your life for those who are down and out, and destitute, etc. So why can you and I, as Christians, live with boldness? Why can we live with boldness? The same reason they could. Because our Jesus is alive. He's no longer in the tomb. So we don't have boldness because our candidate got elected in D.C. We are not have our boldness because the economy is doing well, the stock market. And obviously this is recorded in the Bible, but again, it's eyewitness accounts. He was dead, now he's alive. Not just disciples, but hundreds of people saw Jesus dead and then saw him alive. So because he lives, and we sang, there's a song called Because He Lives. We sang in the first service. Because he's lived, we, we can live with boldness. We can live with confidence. We can live with compassion. And we can live without fear. What's happening in the economy and in the government, whatever it might. We can live without worrying. We can live with peace and assurance. We can give our, live our lives and give our lives for the cause of Christ. So back to that question we started with. What will be our once upon a time story? Again, speaking of the American church, oh, we had it so well back when I was young. Most people liked the church. Most people went to church. Not that way anymore. What happened? Are we filled with fear? It's one of the, I guess, disappointing things to me as I look at the church, and the church is people, church is believers, and I see so much fear. Consequently, when we are afraid, there's just, we don't have the compassion we need to have. Fascinating thing about the early church, the worse things got, the better they got. So they got persecuted, they got executed. Within 300 years, Christianity grew to the place it became the religion of the Roman Empire. How does that happen? Worse things got, the better they got. I have to wait and see if, if it becomes true of us. Things are getting worse. Will us, we, the church, be better? <clears throat> we, the church, now are setting the tone for the next generation of the church. Uh, we know the church is going to continue. Jesus said it's going to go until the end of time. So it's going to prevail. But what's going to be the tone of the church for the next generation? I pray it's not us, <laughs> but the first century church. And something, I'll end with this, 
something we read last week in Hebrews chapter 11. Let this set the tone for us as the church, hopefully for the next generation. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin so easily trips us up. So that's fear and worry and all the other things. Let's get rid of those things. Just throw them off. Then run with endurance the race God has set before us. Not just walk, not stand still, but run all in with endurance to keep going the race that God has set before us. It's different for every generation. It's different for every church. It's different for every individual. Figure out what it is and be all in. We do this. How do you do this? By keeping your eyes on Jesus. Not D.C., not the economy, not your retirement funds. Uh, the champion who initiated and perfects our faith all started with Jesus. And in his case, because of the joy awaiting him, what? In heaven. He endured the cross, disregarding the shame. Now he said he had the place of honor beside God's throne. You and I, as we talked about in this series, we all have to take up our crosses. And we need to disregard whatever shame might be involved because of future glory. And so here's the application. So, let's consider and meditate on him, Jesus, who endured for sinners such bitter hostility against himself. Consider it, consider it all in comparison with your trials. Jesus' trials, early church trials, my trials? <laughs> no comparison. So, consequently... If they didn't, we shouldn't. What? Not grow weary and lose heart. Not give up. Charge forward. So, as we, I mentioned this, or asked this last week, you and I need to decide this. And maybe we will be a church like the early church. If we really figure out, is it worth it? And is it working? Is it worth it to be a follower of Jesus? What all that entails, forgiving our enemies, um, living a life of compassion, living a life for others, taking up a cross, whatever it might be. Is it worth it? And is it worth it? Do others see Jesus in us? Another hymn we sang in the first service. Do others see Jesus in us? Let me pray with you. Father God, I thank you so much for... Uh, the historical events we have, especially the book of Acts that showed how the church got started and what an example to us. They started with nothing. We have so much. They had so much boldness and we don't. Forgive us. Empower us. I pray that we're praying for that boldness and then we go forth with it. That's what they did. <clears throat> Anyone that's not a Jesus follower that may be watching or listening, we want to reiterate, there's only one way to God. But there is a way, and it's a free gift. Couldn't be easier. Accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Accept his forgiveness, his power to forgive your sin. Victory over death, and you too can have a relationship with God. Sin's forgiven, and a promise of eternity in heaven. God, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for his sacrifice. We thank you for your love for us that we're willing to do all that that it took to bring us 
into a relationship with you. Thank you, Father. And we pray for anyone that needs to make that decision. Today would be the day of salvation. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.